You're listening to the Biblical Manhood and Womanhood series taught by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's look then at singleness this morning, and we'll just review quickly from last week. We looked at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 7 through 9, and that continues really through the whole chapter there about marriage, singleness. And we said, number one, that marriage is a gift. Paul calls it a gift. He says marriage is good and singleness is good. And the whole idea of chapter 7 is wherever God has placed you, whatever time you find yourself in, whether you're married, divorced, widowed, single, wherever you're at, where he's placed you, be content and use that gift for God. If you're married and you have children, then love your spouse, raise your kids for God. If you're single and you have time to give it to the ministry, then give it to the ministry and serve. Wherever God has placed you, Paul says, this is a gift. Be content where you're at and use it. Okay? Then he goes on, or we said last week, that singleness has its advantages. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 28, Paul says to the singles, Stay the way I am because I would spare you of the troubles of marriage. Does anyone remember some of the troubles of marriage that singles are spared from from last week? Anybody remember? How can marriage be troubling? Not that it's not great and fantastic and wonderful, but how can it be troubling? Mr. Manning? Uh, Responsibility to each partner. Yeah. Responsibility to each partner. Life becomes more complicated, right? It's not just you you have to worry about. Right? What else? Anything else? Or is that the only? Bernie? It diverts your total attention from the Lord. Yeah, we're distracted, and rightly so. We we can't give ourselves to that, and that service, that devotion. Anything else? Picking on where to eat, right? That's one of those big problems. Got to make a choice there. So there is trouble, right? And he says, I spare you of that. So there's an advantage that you don't have to deal with that, the complexity of marriage. But then he says, one of the other advantages is that you can devote yourself to the Lord. You can give yourself fully. You don't have to worry about someone else. You can be what God wants you to be and give yourself fully to it. The truth is that there are some singles who, for that very reason and purpose, remain single. And it's okay. Okay? Then number three, we said the challenges of singleness. Number one was loneliness. And just a reminder this morning that loneliness is not just a single problem. Loneliness is a problem for lots of people. There are married people who are lonely. Okay, and so, but we are aware that being single sometimes this is a problem of loneliness, and it can lead to bitterness, and we've got to be cautious and careful of that. Okay, so the challenge of loneliness turning to bitterness. Number two, or letter B, was sexual temptation. We live in a world that that's thrown at us, married and single alike. God's word is not changed. We're to flee fornication. The idea of any relationship outside of the confines of marriage is wrong. And, and I don't know what's happened in our churches today, but we have our singles growing up thinking that it's okay. And God has not changed on this. And any relationship outside of this covenant is dangerous, right? And we'll talk about a covenant if we get to it today, uh, about what a covenant means. But God has given us a covenant for protection, for love, for safety, for transparency, for openness. And so the temptation of sexual temptation. Then let us see, we're less rooted 
The single is less rooted. They can move away, right? They're not grounded here. We talked last week about some of our singles who have stayed because of the church, and that's the idea. But there is an opportunity then just to sort of move and scatter and be gone. Letter D, uh, we can get into serious trouble without others knowing. Uh, The single man or woman on their own, in their own house, in their own apartment, in their own space, uh, can get in real trouble without anyone really knowing, right? That accountability is lacking. And then letter E was they can lack relational maturity because they're not pushed in certain areas, right? And so sometimes marriage pushes us to see ourselves the way we are. We have someone else talking to us and saying, listen, you can't dress like that. You need to eat with your mouth closed, right? You can't speak so loud. These are things that sort of help us socially. And sometimes singles don't have that push, right? Number four, here's some reminders for our singles. This is where we sort of left off last week. And here, again, singles, you're more than welcome to chime in. We've, we had some good responses uh, last week, and I would like to have that again this week. Here are reminders, thank God for the gift and make the most of it. If at this time and place you are single, thank God for it and do what you can for his glory and for his service. Okay? Letter B, singleness is not permanent. We talked last week, we gave the example of Joanne, single for 21 years and then married. But regardless, whether that happens now or not, Every believer will be married to the bridegroom, Christ, right? And we understand that. Do all you can to be godly. Don't wait for marriage to say, I need to be changed. You ought to be the man or woman God wants you to be now. There's no waiting on that. And then, finally, keep your eyes fixed on heaven, or as Carolyn reminded us, Jesus, which is the same thing. All right? Number five, reminders for the church, and this is for the church of Jesus Christ as we think about singleness in our midst. Letter A, God settles a solitary in a family, and that might be yours, right? We have an obligation as a family that if we have singles in our midst, they need to feel part of a family. And and that obligation is not for someone else, it's for our family. What better way to help our singles than to include them into our homes, into our lives, into our structure? Hey, if they're looking for what marriage ought to be, why not bring them into homes where we're working on our marriages? If they're wondering how kids should be raised, let them see that. Let them help in those areas. And so understand as as couples or as older singles, God has designed singleness to have a family. And it might just be yours. We've got to be careful. I know there are seasons in life that we're busy or we're swamped and we sort of get focused on ourselves. We've got to be bigger than that. We've got to see outside that. We have to see, like Chandler said last week, people as living souls. And our singles are living souls. We're all living souls. And, and if they're outside of a family, it might just be your family to adopt them and to love them and make them feel part of that. And that's the glory of the church. And I think we're missing that. We really are. And so let me challenge our couples, our older singles, to make this a real priority, that we look for ways to incorporate our singles in our church into our families. That's God's design. That's God's purpose. All right. Letter B, both marriage and singleness is or are sanctifying, right? So no matter where we find ourselves, they are both sanctifying. Let me ask you a question. How does marriage sanctify us? How does marriage purifies. How does marriage change us for the glory of God? Bernie, again, you are going to be two for two today. And I wasn't even here last week. I know, it's amazing. (laughs) In marriage, you learn to serve. You learn to serve, right? You have to serve. It's sacrificial service. Good. How else is marriage sanctifying? Justin? Realizing that uh, 
picture of marriage is a picture of church. And we can really dig deeply to find out what that actually is. Absolutely. It's a picture. We'll talk about that today. The picture of Christ in the church. How else is marriage sanctifying? No hiding, right? No hiding, man. Because it's there. It's in your face. And you can pretend it's not there. But when she tells you every day it's there, you better start listening, right? Because it's there, right? Good. Any other thoughts on marriage and sanctifying? Now let's switch it. Oh, Mr. Manning, go ahead. I think uh, Christian marriage should set us apart from other marriages in the world. You know, we should be an example of what sanctification of marriage is. Absolutely. Our neighbors and our friends should look at our marriage and say there's something different about theirs. Right? And it's not to say that ungodly people can't have good marriages. They can. But ours should be different. It should be another level. Okay, so now here's a question. So then how is singleness sanctifying? If those things are true for married people, and we acknowledge that they are, how then is singleness sanctifying? Go ahead, Carolyn. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd, and he will teach the same lessons we all need to learn whether we're married or single. So he'll arrange your circumstances, so you still have to die to flesh, you still have to be um, in charge. Amen. Amen. And I, I like what Carolyn said. He arranges our circumstances so that the things we've ha- we have to grow in, we're exposed to. Right? Whether you're married or single. Good. Any other thoughts on singleness and sanctification? Eric? I think combining um, the first thought and this one, the one previous, I think hospitality kind of nails both of them. Where if you're going to be private, you're going to ignore the command hospitable. Yep. And that there's a danger of just thinking, get your own be private and don't invite anybody. Then you're also exposing your marriage to others. Right. Right. So you're almost under a microscope then when you're inviting people in to see your own life. Right. And on that same note, for the single person, you can decide not to be hospitable. You can sort of isolate yourself in that area. And that's not healthy. So good to know. How else is, is singleness sanctifying? Anything else you want to add to Carolyn's all-inclusive <laughs> definition? Anything else? Mr. Manning? Your service to the Lord isn't what you mentioned. It's not hindered by a, another person. Right. You know, you could directly serve the Lord as the one without going through uh, problems or troubles. Right. No distraction whatsoever. Ah, from one of our ladies. Rachel, what do you have to say? Um, I think it's sanctifying that when... Um, I'm feeling bitter or lonely or, or whatever. Like I have to find what will. Like I have to find the truth in, in God's word myself instead of maybe trying to look for it, get somebody else to comfort me or whatever. Like, I have to find that in God's word. Amen. It's almost a push because I can't count on someone else. Like, hey, I'm going to go to my husband, I'm going to go to my wife. i got to find this from the Lord myself. And the truth is, for all of us, which is really, this might be an advantage for singleness, that it forces us and it drives us to the Savior to say, I need you as my husband, as my source of help and strength and, and knowledge. And it forces us that way. And so it is very, very sanctifying to say, i got no one, but I have him. And it drives me to him. And that's a, it's a powerful way to be sanctified, to say, where can I go but to the Lord? And it's a good thing. Good. Any other thoughts on that? All right. Good. So they're both saying fine. Letter C. Married, the married and singles in our churches must integrate. They must integrate. And I think that opens up to what's been said already about hospitality. The truth is, God has designed the church 
in order that married, singles, widowed, divorced, whatever, can come together and enjoy the idea of a family. A family. It's important. It's really important. And so we have to be conscientious of this, and we've got to work for this. So, married folks, open up your homes. Be willing. Be uh, available. And, and listen, do it intentionally, but do it at times when you, when you think there's nothing going on. We got nothing going on. So why not invite a single person over just to hang out? They might actually enjoy that without you having some kind of ulterior motive where I'm going to invite this single guy and this single girl and we're just going to hang out, right? I get it. Some of you are real matchmakers and, and that's fine. But the truth is it might be advantageous for them just to come and hang out, just to be there, just to send, have a sense of family. All right, Bernie, three for three. Um, I'm thinking... When we think of singles, we're thinking young people, but we need to think of our widows and widowers. Absolutely. And that's all inclusive there. You're exactly right. It's not just our 20-something or 30-somethings. It's our older ladies and men who are single. And I think this touches again on this idea of loneliness, that we do have a body, that we can come together and give love and encouragement. So, so families, open up your homes. Be intentional about this. Don't be fake, but just think about brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what you ought to do sometimes? This is a really good exercise. We ought to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It really is, I don't know who said that, but they're really smart, that you should, you should think these thoughts through and say, how would I feel during Christmas or Thanksgiving or a holiday, right? And open up our homes like that. And what it does is, not only does it help that person, but it's, it's a glorious picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you've been through or what, what situations you have struggled with in life. We come together and we love each other. All right. So couples, families, be intentional about that. Singles, be flexible. Be flexible. Okay. Listen, understand that sometimes families with young kids can't stay up till 3 in the morning. Okay. They just can't. Most of them can't stay up till 9. Or when, you, or when you're 48, you can't stay up till 8. All right. So, so it's, it's different. And so, I mean, it's cool, and, and you should be able to do that. But listen, be conscientious of, of young families, right? Because they do have responsibilities. When you go home and crash, you can crash, but some of them have kids waking up in the middle of the night. Or in the morning, early. Some kids don't sleep, right? The mother's like, yeah, you can see the mother's like, yeah. Right? So, so we have to be conscientious there. Just be thoughtful, Right? You know, so you got to be careful of those things. But I think that falls on you just to be conscientious of what's happening and to be flexible in that area. All right? Take advantage of singles because they can be great help. Um, some of you young families, you'd be helped by having singles around. Because most of them, not most of them, I don't know, I guess it's some of them like kids. Some of them would enjoy being with your kids, would help out in that area, Right? So take advantage of it. And not just say, oh, good, I have a list of singles. I'm going to use them for this and them for this and then cleaning, you know, laundry. And that's what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, cha-ching, this is awesome. We're going to be involved in our singles ministry. My car needs to be washed. Come on over. All right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But it is advantageous to have them come and to do life with you. I think one of the things great about this church is, whether it's youth work or or couples or older married folks or the, the whatever your group is called. What's your group called? Kindred Hearts. Hearts. We do life together. You, you just do life together, and it's impactful, and we need that. That's what makes this church great, that we view it as a family and we do life together. So take advantage of that. Any other comments on that? Anything to add that would be helpful? Rachel. Um, 
Right. Right. It's a body. And that and that knowing not only in service, but knowing someone well enough to know when they're struggling. Right? That our conversation should be such, whether you're married or single, young or old, that we have conversations where, where we know as we view them and talk to them, hey, something's not right here. They're really struggling. That light in their eyes, it's gone. I've not seen them. We've got to know each other like that. It's important. Yeah, that, 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 that picture of the church, it should be like that would, like, you would have accountability and you would have, like, fellowship and there would be so many things that would work well if you were, you could do for the most part that you should have that mind over giving to others. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great reminder. Absolutely. Carolyn? A little bit along with, with what Rachel said, but it's not on the onus of just married people. I think single people need to ask people what they change. So it isn't just on one. I right. think we all need to have the same care for others. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great point. It's on all of our shoulders. Right. You don't get a buy on this because, well, I'm just single and I just, I'm waiting for people to call me. You'll call me. And you're not making a phone call. You're, you're not doing anything. And that becomes selfish, right? And then you, you talk about pity and loneliness and bitterness. Well, no one's calling me. Well, are you calling somebody? Are you making an effort? Are you putting yourself out there? I mean, those things are important, too. We've got to remember those things. But we all should be more sensitive in this area. Okay? Any other comments or questions about that before we move on? Okay, before we go to the next topic of, of marriage, so how can our church do a better job with our singles? I'm asking now. I've got nothing written down. I'm asking how then can we do a better job with our singles? And, and you can say anything you want to. We're, we're listening now. Yes, sir. Uh, we need to incorporate them in everything. Mm-hmm. Not- just have a separate, you know, this is for married couples, this is for singles. Right. I think we should, the incorporation has to be unity. That's exactly right. And I love that because the truth is we have like things like nursing home ministry, right? The beauty of the nursing home ministry is you have kids, I mean children going there, and older folks going there, and everyone in between, and they're serving together. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And I think sometimes we make these distinctions, well, this is a singles group, and this is, but it's the church, being incorporated in the church is very important. Good. What else? Do singles have any ideas? Before go ahead, Kim. Um, I was just gonna say, as married couples or people with families, big families, um, we have to consciously um, think of others and not get so wrapped up in just our little bubble that we're not thinking about the needs of singles. And, and to, I mean, it's not. I mean, adding one plate to a dinner table is not a big deal. Right. Amen. And with singles too, I, I like what, whether they're thirty or sixty. Right. It's important. Good. Anything else? Singles, this was your chance to have a whole list of, I need a loan, need a new car, we could help in the house. All right. All right, is that enough said then? Are we good? Anything that you add to this lesson on singleness? All right, let's move right along then. Let's go to lesson number six, biblical manhood and womanhood, talking now about marriage. About marriage. We'll start with this quote. I think it's worth repeating, reminding you it was said by Socrates, the great philosopher. By all means, marry. 
If you get a good wife, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Right? I love that. I think he's testifying, actually. All right? Um, so I want to talk about marriage now as we sort of bring this thing to a close. We're going to head now for marriage. Next time we're together, not next week, but the following week, we'll talk about husbands and wives quickly, and then we'll end with children. And, and I hope that by the time we're done, we will have a good grasp of what it means to be a biblical man or a biblical woman in all of these different areas. And, and that's the hope, okay? So, again, if you're married already, say, oh, this isn't for me. Well, it's a reminder for you. And if you're not married yet, this will be a good gauge for you to, to how we view marriage, okay? Too often, our main focus is on the who in marriage instead of the why, Right? The who. And so the who leads us with unrealistic expectations. One of the best books I think we've, I've used anyways for, for marital counseling is, now my mind just went blank, When Sinners Say I Do. The one is because about expectations, about how we enter into marriage and think, this person will fill in the blank, and those are my expectations, all right? And they're unrealistic. Here's the truth of the matter. No matter how much someone tells you about, here's what to expect, you have no idea. You have no idea. None, right? I mean, we can talk about this and that, but the truth is, when two lives come colliding together, right, in this bond of marriage, in this covenant, you will see and experience things about that spouse and about yourself that that you were unequipped for, right? And so... When we say what to expect, the truth is we can sort of give guidelines and, and parameters there, but, but there are things that you will not be prepared for, humanly speaking. So we need the Lord. But he, let, let me give you some unrealistic expectations this morning. Here, here's letter A. We believe that, that love will conquer all. And so you hear people say, well, I just love him. And I just, you know, what's about this? I love her. I was thinking, and I, I don't know how many people remember this, there was a, a cartoon with like the abominable snowman who's, who, who grabs Daffy Duck and he says, I will name him George. I will love him and kiss him and squeeze him. Do you remember that? What was the other, earlier thing of that came up? What was that girl's name? Elmira. The little girl was Elmira that did that. And, and, and the picture is, I'm going to love you. And I mean love you like to death. Right, And we say, okay, love will conquer all. And so my expectation is, well, love's going to take care of everything, and I just love him, I just love her. And there's a sense that we have to be careful with this idea of infatuation, right? Infatuation is not a terrible thing. The truth is, if there's someone that you're interested in, and it makes, the thought of being with them makes you sick, you should probably not pursue a relationship. That would be a bad idea. But infatuation is dangerous. I am told that infatuation is like an hourglass, that when you turn it over, when you start out in this process, you have between 12 and 18 months before it wears off. Okay, So so think about that. I love him. I love her. I'm infatuated by them. Okay, that's great. After 12 to 18 months, it'll be gone. Then what? And people do this in affairs. Getting old, you know, the old lady, the old man, I need something new and exciting. Infatuation, 12, 18 months, it's done. And guess what? You're still the dirtbag you were when you left. So you've got to be careful about this. There's nothing wrong with saying, I have an attraction and I, I think I love this person. But the infatuation is dangerous. And when you go into a relationship, I just, I love him. I just can't even explain that. I just love him. I'm going to hug him and squeeze him. 
Uh, it's dangerous. Bernie? So a courtship or, or dating relationship of two to five years is good. So are you, are you advocating courtship? I'm just saying it took me that long. All right. That's, <laughs> to convince her? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, please. Um, no, and I think courtship is a wonderful thing. I, and I think it's a, it's a, great, it's a great idea that you, that you at least take that time. To, because here's what happens, right? After the infatuation's over with, it's like, you're not the person I married. No, it is the person you married. You had this idealistic thought about him or her where they could do no wrong, and when red flags came up, you ignore them because, ah, yes, no, I love him. And this red flag is waving in your face, right? So this un- it's unrealistic that this love will conquer all, you know. Um, be careful with that. And, and I think that there's real wisdom in this idea of courtship that I take my time on this. You better know. Because when you get involved, you're still going to be surprised, Right? But you shouldn't be totally surprised where this infatuation just buried everything. Okay? So we believe that love will conquer all. Letter B, we believe that person will complete us. Karen, you complete me. You know, this, this idea that, that I am missing something and this person will be the one who finally brings me. I, didn't, I said Karen because it's from some movie, not that Kim, your name is Kim. Kim, you complete me. All right. No, it's, it's from a. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, this is how my mind works. There was a dumb movie years ago that I saw, and yeah, it's, a, it's called The Ringer. It was dumb. Anyways, um, I was using someone else's example. 12 to 18 months ago, Karen, you complete me. All right? Hmm. All right. Thank you, Kim. Um, and, and so we think that if I just land this man or this woman, then my life will be complete. It's really dangerous because we are incomplete, not because of a person, but because our relationship with God needs to be reconciled. That's our identity. That's how we're made complete. And so if you have this idea that this person, I am missing something and this person is going to be that, you're wrong. It will never happen. And that's not fair to put it on the person that you're in a relationship with because they can never, ever meet that hole in your heart that's a God space. Never. Never. I cannot possibly meet every need that Kim has, or Karen. I just can't do it. All right? Nor can she meet mine. It's impossible. And if I'm going to suck all of that out of her, I'm going to discourage her there because it cannot be done. Steve? Is the first step in marriage not also to have a common faith in God? Yeah, yes. And I think we can, we can deviate on that. I think there's some huge things that you have to be aware of there are, there, are, there are several things that I think are a must if you're going to be married to somebody, right? And the first is a common worldview, right? Our faith. I was listening to a guy who, who, who was talking about a, a Christian and a Jewish, a Christian man, a Jewish woman came to him and asked if he would do their marriage. And he said, I love you. I love you both. You're great friends of mine. I cannot do your marriage. And they said, why? And he said, because the thing that's so important to you both, your faith, Jewish faith, Christian faith, is something that you can't share with each other. And so I will not do it. And that's real wisdom, right? Because there, there has to be this sense that, we're, and this is biblical, right? I mean, with 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, hey, you can marry whoever you want, right? It's not just the one, but whoever you want in the Lord. Because though we've got to be on the same page. And listen, I think this is more of a problem with, with uh, maybe women than men. Maybe this is 
maybe misogynistic. You can tell me if it is. But I've, I've heard lots of girls say, I can change him. Honey, if he's lost, you ought not be dating him. You just don't date him. I don't care how nice he is and what he tells you and what he promises you. You have to have this shared faith because you're going to come into real storms and trials and troubles. And if this is the important part of your life and you can't share this, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Now, granted, there are people who get married and one gets saved and the other's not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're in a dating relationship for a Christian guy or girl, you have to have this common thing. There's a book written. It's not by a Christian guy. The guy's name is uh, Godham. Godham. He's a Ph.D., he wrote a book called Seven Principles of, I don't know, Healthy Marriages, something like that. You guys can Google that sometime, you tech-savvy people. But he gives seven things about marriages that make it. And without, without a Christian perspective, and this is one of them, they have a shared belief system. It's important. It, it's a priority. You cannot ignore that. Number two, you have to be able to, to solve problems together. Right? If, if you're in a relationship before you're married, and the one person never wants to solve an issue, or you're always the problem, or I blame you, or they're never the problem, that ain't going to work. Because you can only say sorry for so long, for so many years, before you realize it's not all your fault. Right? So that can't work. And then Lewis, C.S. Lewis talks about the mythos that couples should have something in their, in their lives together that they love. Right? Whether it's art or sports or something that together you know, brings joy to them. And if you don't have that as a married couple, you should work on that. You should find something that you can do together. But you're right, Steve. I think that's, that's instrumental, that, that our faith has got to be in Christ. It's important. Okay? So, because we are complete in Him. Good. Any other thoughts on that? I sort of rambled. I'm sorry, but those were all going off in my head. All right? Letter C. I believe that I have found the one. My soulmate. I don't know when we start using those terms. I think they came from Hollywood. You know, I love how Hollywood actors and actresses find their soulmates. This is the one. Ten times over. Well, you weren't really my soulmate. I found this very interesting about the idea of soulmate. Plato, in his myth of Aristophanes, talks about all human beings at one time. This is his myth, so this is not biblical. Just listen. That all human beings were round. They started out round. Okay, this is the myth. And they, they, they all had four arms, four legs, two heads with identical faces. And they would, they would walk around with these, you know, four legs and four arms. And when they ran, they would do cartwheels. It was, it's kind of interesting when you think about round people doing cartwheels, right? And these round people were so terrible and frightening to the gods that Zeus decided to cut them in half. So he cut the round people in half, right in half. And Apollos did something. He stitched them up and maybe gave them different anatomies. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter. But So the idea is you got cut in half, and for the rest of your life then, you were looking to find completion in the one, your soulmate. Mm, not biblical. <laughs> not biblical at all. That, that's not, that, if you're thinking, oh, is that how it works? No, that's not how it works. That's not true at all. All right? That's a fable. It's a myth. Anyways, it goes on and on. It's, it's crazy. But my soulmate, you know, I just got to find my soulmate. Insane. We have no idea what we face in marriage, but you can choose the person you will face it with. And you have to find a soulmate. You need to find a soul, S-O-L-E, mate. Someone that you say, we're going to do life together. Now, it takes wisdom. It takes courtship, maybe. It takes input from community. But it's important that we understand that it's not this soulmate, that I found the one. 
You want to know who the one is? The one you said I do to is the one. That's it. There's no, ah, I thought you were my soulmate. You're not. No, they are your S-O-L-E mate to do life together. Sometimes the first step in making a wise marriage choice is ending a foolish dating choice. Listen to me. Don't date somebody that you wouldn't want to marry. I just want to have fun. That's stupid. Right? And we're not even looking for qualities and traits that we know we'll need later on. You better find someone with a kind heart, who has compassion, who loves Christ, who wants to grow in Him. They can be as pretty or as handsome as you want them to be. They could be a nightmare the rest of your life. And so the soulmate is the one that you marry. That's your soulmate. And so make a wise choice. And again, you get in a relationship that you think, ah, there's some red flags here, then get out of it or put the brakes on or slow down. Outside of your salvation, your marriage is the biggest decision you're going to make. Don't play games with that. Okay, so these are, these are unrealistic. You're not going to find your soulmate, but you will find a soulmate, S-O-L-E. Letter D, we believe uh, that we will live happily ever after. So as soon as we say, I do, it's like, oh, it's going to be great. Remember the old um, the Beach Boy song, wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up? I don't know how the song goes. Anyways, so the idea is, I, just, I didn't want to go home. If we just go and be with each other for here on out, it'd be great. And so we have these visions of grandeur that we'll get married and we'll cuddle every night. When Kim and I were first married, I was in the service. I was home for a month before I got shipped to Germany. So we got married, spent two weeks with each other, got shipped to Germany, and I was gone for three months. I had to find an apartment off base. And so I found this apartment. I'm not kidding you. The apartment was the size of our kitchen with a, a kitchen, a little kitchenette, a, a living room slash bedroom slash dining room slash front room and a bathroom. And so I picked her up after three months from Frankfurt Airport, brought her home to this little apartment, little apartment, and, and we had one bed. It was a single, what do they call them, singles? Twin bed. You know, twin bed, right? Now, this is great. This is wonderful. This is marriage. It lasted one night. <laughs> the next night, we took the pillows off the sofas, uh, laid them on the floor. It wasn't like we were going to be cuddling all night. Matter of fact, we have a king-size bed now. We have a line in the middle. Don't cross that. When I'm sleeping, don't touch me. I'm a light sleeper. All right? That's the way it's going to be. But we have these visions like, no, we're going to cuddle all the time. He's going to make me breakfast in the morning in bed. You know, Kim hates breakfast. It makes her mad. Right? The smell of breakfast makes her angry, right? That, that ain't working, right? Or, man, every time I come home, she's going to be just dressed up. She'll, her hair will be perfect, right? Lipstick in place. She'll meet me at the door, just happy to see me. And you come to the door, and she looks like she just got out of bed, and there's vomit on her from the kids, and her hair is disheveled, and, right? This is life in the trenches. And so this idea that... that We'll just be happily ever after, and we won't have any problems or any trouble. And, and the way it is in dating, the way it's going to be, it's just not so. Right? So be careful on that. Let's just, let me give you this thought, and we'll stop, and we'll pick up next week with, not in two weeks, about the reality of marriage. But Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Right? As believers, if you're thinking about marriage, seek first the kingdom of God. Not romance, infatuation, not love or chemistry, not compatibility, but seek first the kingdom of God. Because when I fall in love with Christ, I fall in love with someone bigger and deeper than anything I can experience, right? And that has to be first. 
you got to fall in love with Christ. And then we go from there. So I, I think I'm going to stop with that. Any questions, comments on that at all? Right? So singleness and marriage, we'll talk more about it in two weeks. Next week we'll have John and Patty Summers with us. Uh, now we'll figure out what we're going to do in the auditorium, all right? God bless you.